Welcome to Kingdom Perspectives. My name is Corey Turner and it's my privilege to host you for today's podcast. Kingdom Perspectives is all about getting God's perspective on life, culture and ministry. And in a world of increasing noise and deception, we need to cut through the confusion and complexity of the times we live in and get God's perspective on our lives. I encourage you to click on the subscribe button to automatically receive this podcast on a weekly basis. Also, if you'd like to leave us a brief review, that would be a great blessing to us. Well, I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today. We've got Ben Fitzgerald here with us. So, Ben, welcome to our podcast. So good to be with you all. Um, Ben, uh, we've journeyed together uh, for a little while now and are getting to know each other more and more. And you're um, leading Awakening Europe and Awakening Australia. Maybe just talk a little bit about, uh, let's go back to when you got saved. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe share with people um, your journey of surrounding you, um, discovering faith in Christ, and then just the journey from there to to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Well, when I got born again, um, I was a professional sinner. I mean, I was like, (laughs) we're all born with it, but I was good at it. You know, I was really bad. And uh, and so when I first got saved, um, it happened through a very, very profound encounter. And I really wasn't looking for God, but I was empty. I grew up in a Christian home. Probably many people listening to this podcast maybe grew up in church. Yeah, I did too. My father was a Catholic. I mentioned to you earlier, just as we're chilling out, that he was a golf professional. And he actually left that to go and work for Reinhard Bonnke. Wow. And, uh, and I thought my whole life would, and upbringing from six years of age would be in Africa because that's where he went. And he went to Africa. Long story short, he calls my mom. The walls are moving. Now, this is the strange part that some people don't understand, but I don't really focus too much on this. But the walls are moving in the hotel room. And mom said, you need to go get them to pray for you, David. His name's David. And uh, they prayed for him. His prayer team, Bonky's prayer team, nothing shifted. My dad's anxiety got worse and worse there. He didn't have it before. Went to Africa. He got hit with this anxiety. And um, after a few weeks, uh, he couldn't sleep. He was starting to go a bit crazy. Mom said, you need to come home. So he came home. Although he was kind of like a Pentecostal Catholic, you know, charismatic yeah. Catholic, he um, and he believed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if he knew what was really happening at that time. And he came home, and he was okay for the first nine months to a year, but then he had what they'd call an episode. He never had this prior. Uh, and he he just basically grabbed the telephone, grabbed the cake of my brother's first birthday. I remember it like I was there. And uh, and he smashed the telephone through the window of the house and, and smashed the cake on the ground. And he started yelling. I'd never seen him be like that. So wow. we left the house. I grabbed my brother at one years of age, and I just ran out of the house in fear. My father was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And then um, we tried to fight in prayer. My mom would pray with me every night before going to bed. God can heal him, etc. But one day, sadly, I came home and my father had committed suicide. And I wow. found him dead, unfortunately. Wow. And so when I found him dead, I mean, that did a lot inside me. So I grew up as a Christian, but when I found him dead, something inside me sort of, I, I don't know whether it rebelled or like just the grief, but the sin mixed with the grief you know, because we're yeah. born in sin, we need to yeah. be born again. Yeah. The sin mixed with the grief, it just sent me into this spiral of darkness. And I became like, like I said, I wasn't just sinning. I was trying to sin for a living. I was trying to become a drug dealer. I was, I was really following a very dark path when Jesus met me. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I've never heard that side of the story before. Yeah. And, and so, um, coming out of that season when you had your, a significant encounter with Christ. Mm-hmm. 
what was the journey in those formative years of discovering that there was a call on your life to preach the gospel? <laughs> well, it started in the beginning because Jesus came into my house at four in the morning. Wow. And I knew it was Jesus because he spoke to me for one hour. And he called me and he told me what I'd be doing. And at that time, I was filled with fear, trying to deal drugs. I was being a crazy person and uh, and filled with anger. And the Lord delivered me. I wasn't fully sanctified. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, get, you get saved when yeah. you believe in Jesus. You get sanctified when you believe like Jesus. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't <laughs> believing like him in some of those areas of my life yet. But I, was, I knew he'd spoken to me in that one hour. We, he talked to me for one hour at four in the morning till five. Wow. And he told me that I was going to preach the gospel. And he said this. He said that the mercy I've shown on you, I will show to thousands through you. And he said, you'll speak about th- to thousands of people about my mercy. And uh, I was like, awesome. God, okay. I, I believed it, you know. And I just started to read the, the Bible about four to five hours a day, a little Gideon's Bible. And I just took it seriously. I, I was in a Baptist church. I love the church. I know them now. I'm actually very close friends with them in Geelong. Yeah. And uh, they're lovely people. And um, and it's amazing how God has even restored our relationships and stuff because I was a wild first year Christian, you know. Wow. I was just reading the Bible. And I'm like, hey, the Bible says we should heal people, and they weren't necessarily doing that back then. And yeah, this, I remember one guy's like, this girl died, and it's God's will, and it's like she was a young girl. And I'm like, I stood up, excuse me, you know, I'm just, I was just wild, and I didn't know how to maybe tame some of those things, but I was passionate. And the first few years, I realized. My call is to become like the disciples. Yeah. I didn't really think, you know, I'm called to be a minister. I, yeah. I just felt like when I'm reading the scriptures that long every day, I see them all talking about God. And I heard what Jesus said to me that I'd tell people about his yeah. mercy and I'd speak in front of multitudes of people. So I just started going to the street every day and sharing with whoever I could meet at the bus stop or whatever and just telling them about Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So fast forward now. Um, Tell us about Awakening Europe and Awakening Australia and what God's doing through that ministry. Yeah, well, he's we're seeing thousands of people in Europe, which they call now the Dark Continent. Yeah. Because it's removed itself from its Judeo-Christian roots in many ways, and it's gone very deep into humanistic ways. Yeah. So we felt a call from the Lord. I felt particularly a call by being at the field where Hitler used to have rallies. And the Lord showed me a vision, and I very seldom have like, you know, visions. Yeah. But I had this mind's eye vision, but it was so clear to me. It was almost like it was destined that I'd see it. And I saw these people crying out, God, would you take back Europe? And so I just started telling some small church congregations in Europe about that. And it turned into a bigger thing than probably we thought. And about a year and a bit later, we went down to that same area. And there's a stadium there that Hitler used to use for his rallies right next to the field. Yeah. And around 27,000 people rocked up to our first meeting. And I was like, this is awesome, God. I, honestly, to be real with you, like I had faith that he would do something, but it was a little bit even more impactful than I yeah. thought it would be. Uh, the, the anointing, the weight of what he did in the German people that I never knew before. You know, I'm an Australian yeah. like you, like anyone yeah. listening, listening maybe. But I, um, I didn't have a massive heart for Germany until that time. Wow. And so we've been seeing now the last five years in Europe, we felt from there, go to Stockholm. Then after that, go to Prague. We felt the Lord has sent us kind of like a bit of an arrow that goes into play, maybe a place where the humanistic and the atheistic cultures are quite strong. Yeah. And we go there just to try and help Christians awaken to their calling, not to condemn and say you don't do enough, yeah. but just to awaken to the calling like, guys, no one else is coming. You're here. 
you know, God's not sending somebody else. It's yeah. you. Jesus wants to save your unsaved sister. He yeah. wants to use your life to save people. Yeah. And we're seeing a, a radical awakening in many Christians in Europe, across Europe, and stadiums being filled. And the best part about that is people are being saved. Yeah. Praise God. And I've seen some of the footage of what's happening in Europe, and it's so inspiring and also convicting and challenging what are we doing in our own backyard mm. and then how did what what happened in terms of god putting on your heart to start awakening australia how did that transpire oh, again that was a bit like i don't i don't like to sound uber spiritual you know like <laughs> i'm a i was talking to you about golf before and try, <laughs> trying to beat john bevere at golf but yeah. um, but you know i don't want to sound like like everything's led by a dream or a vision but i literally had a dream yeah. where i was in an underground annex of concrete under a stadium and people were shouting. And a man in my dream who's never appeared in my dream before, his name's Ian Grant. He he leads, a, yeah. or he used to lead, I don't know if he still does even, but he was leading I know like, Ian. Yeah, yeah, he was leading Harvest Bible College. Yeah. Well, I had that dream in 2016. And I was like, what's Ian Grant in my dream for? He's walking with me in this underground, huge, big, fat, like concrete stadium. And I'm hearing people going, Jesus, Jesus, like that. And Ian, I said, where are we, Ian? He said, he goes, where are your meeting? And I said, mine. And he said, yeah, you, you know, you organize this. And he said, and there's um, 30,000 people here. That's I just remember that number. And I woke up out of the dream and I said, God, what does that mean? And instantly he's like, Ian represents the harvest because he was running Harvest Bible College. And he said, I want you to do this in Australia. I want you to do an awakening in Australia. And so turns out it's funny when we went to Marvel Stadium for the first time to check it out and they took us underground, they show you everything, you know. Concrete. Big, huge, con- exactly. Now, I've been in many stadiums now. Like yeah. we check out stadiums once yeah. every few months. We're in a, yeah. another big venue in Europe and uh, and we hadn't seen any other stadium here in, in Australia. It was, And they're all different under there. It was exactly like the dream. And I knew, I was like, I don't really want to take this one because of the cost, you know, like just to be real. If yeah, you're listening to yeah. the podcast, you think, wow, what a great man of faith. Well, I lost all my fingernails, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, but I, um, you know, just to be honest, like I was like, man, it's the cost of Marvel Stadium is a lot more than. Oh, it's astronomical. It's very, very expensive. Yep. And uh, I was like, we could go to a smaller one, you know, we could pack out a smaller one, but I felt like God said, nah, you know, and they were changing their name that year to Marvel Stadium. I was like, well, yep. let's do this, Jesus. And it was amazing what God did there. And, uh, and he, of course, he paid for it all. He, but that's the least of the miracles to me. Yeah. The miracle of how many people got saved and yeah. and the things that have happened afterwards for that's us, it. that's the fruit for us. And the impact across Melbourne and across Australia is huge because yeah. people came from all over Australia. Yeah. I, I think there's a theme that's coming through here that um, I just feel like we should be talking about a bit more. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and and let's talk about that for a moment um, because it, it's evident that, you know, your own conversion experience was a supernatural encounter. Yeah, it was. Uh, the the um, breakthroughs and doors that God has led you through mm. uh, were birthed through supernatural encounter. Yeah. Let's talk about moving in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's such an essential part of our faith oh, yeah. of ministering to people. Yeah. Um, how have you sort of uh, become more sensitive or discerning, be it in a um, rally or a meeting or be yeah. it one-on-one? H- how has that journey of moving in the power of the Holy Spirit developed for you? Well, I think that even leading up to these supernatural encounters, it was the day-to-day yeah. in the secret place with God or yeah. stopping the one person at McDonald's or whatever. You know, yeah. It was all a lead-up. It was a faithfulness too. But... The dependence on the Holy Spirit, I think a couple of things shifted for me when I became 
like able to flow more Corey, in the anointing yeah you know yeah and one of the major things that shifted in my mind is that the holy spirit is not a mental concept that i sort of had of like he's a dove around me or he's he's like the mystical kind of yeah. see-through ghost thing yeah you know i i read ezekiel chapter 8 where it gives a description of a, man, a burning man on fire and it actually talks about he saw the spirit you know ezekiel and yeah. it's a man fully a silhouette of a man on fire and i realized something god is the holy spirit on earth so he's not the holy spirit in addition to the lord he is the lord yeah and he's god on the earth so i would begin to pray in my room and say god I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I'd say, Holy Spirit, make me sensitive. Awaken my consciousness to you. My, like, yeah. Consciousness sounds like a new age term, but it's actually in Ephesians chapter 1. Absolutely. And it's it's our conscience inside being aware, like we're aware of smell, taste, whatever, of the presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit. And then I became more aware of that personally. I became aware of that kind of faith that would come over me when I knew it was him. So I went on a personal journey with a lot of those things where I was just seeking him where no one was seeing me and just saying, God, I want to know the Holy Spirit more. I want his presence to fill my life. And I would talk to the Holy Spirit too, not just to the Father. Yeah, I'd say, Holy Spirit, where even sounds weird, sounds a bit kid-like, but I'd say I'd be worshiping for an hour in the room and go, Holy Spirit, where are you right now? I know you're in me because you're in me. You don't leave me. Yeah. But where are you right now? And I'd have a sense he's he's standing like he's not just a little dove that sits yeah. on your shoulder yeah. he's not just a little bird yeah. that, you know like i love that picture <laughs> but it says the holy spirit came upon him like a dove yes it doesn't say he carried a dove cage around that's you know, right or he's just sitting there with a dove obviously that picture is that the sensitivity of the beauty of the holy spirit the presence of god the gentleness but then you see the mighty rushing wind Corey. oh you know, in Acts 1, that's just smash. You can imagine that upper room. They've got yeah. candles everywhere. Bang, they're all on the floor. Absolutely. Flames of fire on the people. He's not just a dove. He's the spirit. And, and we like to say the word, I love your church, the word pneuma. Yeah. You know, but the, and, and it's one of the original meanings for, for the word breath. And another meaning, which comes out of Genesis 1, was when he was hovering over the face of the deep. So this is God on the earth. So for me, that revelation of knowing he's not just kind of an addition to the Lord. This has really helped me move yep. and get sensitive and flow when I sense it's him leading me. Does that it's make powerful. sense? powerful, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that we're living in a day and an age and a time where I'm seeing the need's always been great, mm -hmm. but the need as a population explosion, as mm -hmm. things like pandemics and all sorts of things, the need's greater than ever before. Oh, yeah. There's so many people living on the planet that haven't heard the gospel. Yeah. That, that have um, developed a worldview of God that is based upon very religious worldview, yeah. based upon previous experiences, be it growing up in a particular um, tradition or mm. church or, or school yeah. um, and what they're exposed to there. And people are hungering for the genuine, for the authentic. Yeah. And I'm seeing even in the church that there is amongst many young believers too, there is this dissatisfaction with just the ritual. Oh, yeah. They want the relationship. That's right. And everything that comes with that. And what are you seeing across the body of Christ at the moment in terms of it seems like be it in worship, mm -hmm. be it, you know, you've got ministries like Upper Room and different things that yeah. there is this genuine hunger for the authenticity of who Christ is yeah. and living that out and walking that out in an everyday life. What are you seeing around the body of Christ in, in line with that? Well, I think that you just said that word you just said is a perfect word for it, the authenticity 
I mean, people want what's authentic. I think we're a little bit, I'd say, across the board, and you can probably you know, tell me if you feel this is right or wrong, but across the board, I'd say people are sort of done with drinking milk that feels like it's been tainted with. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're kind of over like, oh, okay, this is yet another ministry that's still pointing to the glory of man, or this is another ministry or another thing coming to me where it doesn't feel like it's just really about Jesus. There's a mixture in there. And we're longing for the authentic presence of God that that goes beyond. Of course, we still honor. Of course, there's double honor for elders. Scripture's clear. Yeah, of course. That stuff doesn't be... In fact, I find that when the attention's on Jesus, those things increase correctly. Yeah. But I feel like people have sort of been like, hang on, is this sermon like more about how to how to have a guided relationship when you're single or is it about how to burn for God? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're kind of getting done with like, that's the really milky yeah. stuff and it's the yeah. milk that was pe- picked up off the floor and put back in the bottle kind of a few times, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean by that? <laughs> yeah, so, totally. And, and I think that we're, we're really hungering for, um, and there's nothing, there's no sin in that. Of course. Per se. Yeah. But it's just more like, what are we building? Are we, yeah. are we building a... a, a a culture of popularity or are we building a culture very much centered around the pursuit of his presence and the innocence that that creates in us yeah and that and that because i mean when i sit in front of the presence of god i'm sure you do in the car and just a song and i start weeping yeah that feeling of that weeping that cleansing yep. like bob jones once said weeping washes the witchcraft out of your eyes wow and i and that feeling that i get sometimes when i'm just in the car and i start weeping i realize all the stress is off all yeah. the the stuff that's trying to control me and make me fear or make me just figure out things yeah. it just comes off you yeah well that innocence comes from there's no worship leader there that is directly from the holy spirit it's powerful him alone as the vessel yeah. you alone as the receiver yeah so if we can become as ministers and churches and cultures around the world even more focused that way individually personally leading from that place it's really you don't want to work to have a secret place just so you can feed the church absolutely but if you can have that you'll feed them with such pure stuff that they'll yeah. be like wow and that's why upper room i know them all personally yeah and they're really like just chillers man like they're not they're not um <laughs> they don't have a flow chart they don't have a plan i mean there's nothing wrong again i don't want to swing the pendulum yeah totally because there's nothing wrong with that you yeah. can have all those excellent things and have god right smack bang in the middle of it all yeah or you can make those excellent things make you feel self-important yeah and lose what we're this whole thing's all about. Yeah, totally. And so I think ministries like Upper Room and others where they just come to worship Jesus and someone holds the camera and then we're like, wow, it feels so amazing and so pure. It's because, yeah, because they didn't come for the camera. Yeah. They really came to worship. To encounter him. Yeah, it's powerful. Um, I know you spent a little bit of time at Bethel and and, um, what what was some of the takeaways from your time there, your experience? How did God mark you during that time? Well, I had the privilege of being on staff there too, and I was there for about six and a half years. Mm. And I actually, <laughs> you know, when you go to church, you kind of like, um, I guess when you're in the, in the staff and stuff, seats kind of get made for you. And what I mean by that is like, I know where the senior pastor is always sitting, and I love that, and I honor that. He should always be there. She should, you know, his wife, everybody has sort of seats, and you become kind of like, it's your seat kind of. So <laughs> my seat, praise God, was not... Um, Next to Bill, that would be Chris and Kathy, you know, yeah, he's Chris yeah. Valden. But my seat was the one right on the other side. Every Sunday, I seemed to be able to just sit on that chair right next to Bill with the aisle, you know, just a little bit yeah. between us, like a hand length, yeah. like an arm length, sorry. And so I watched this guy for six and a half, like for a long time, I, maybe less because I came on staff a few years in, but I watched him for years, like a hawk. He didn't know I did, and I told him later, but 
I watched the way he lived because I saw Bethel expanding the movement, the the ministry, the anointing, people coming in like, you know, going into their prayer chapel that's a 24-hour prayer chapel with stage four cancer, walking in the doors and the cancer disappearing. And I was like, God built that, but he built it through this man. And when he teaches, Pastor Corey, like when he stands up at the pulpit, there's a significant weight of revelation that just kind of comes before he even says anything. So I watched him like a hawk. And I'm like, what does he do in worship? Well, I noticed a few things. So I learned a lot about ministry from him mm. in the sense of leading. His his very intentional focus on ministering to the Lord in worship was unwavering. And he would, if someone came up and bumped him, he would still talk to them. But his focus didn't change. Like he'd go, bless you. But it was just really quick conversations he wasn't always engaging with his assistant to do 20 things he could have but he just wasn't in that moment i think they learned too like we're not really gonna get to him at that time unless there's some major issue so i'd watch him constantly minister to god and then i'd see some other people and i would never judge them and compare them but they'd be caught on their phone in the middle of worship he wouldn't he was always uber faithful to minister to god the reason i knew it was to god is because i'd watch his hands and and that sounds funny to say something that that way. It might sound like I'm a bit of a Bill Johnson, um, you know, like <laughs> stalker. St- yeah, like, I'm not. He's actually a really good friend <laughs> yeah, of mine. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, yeah. it's not like that. It's just that I yeah. wanted to learn how I'm you like, observed. Yeah, yeah, I'm like God. How I was a bit like a Joshua kind yeah. of person. I was like, how does Mo? How do these leaders encounter you like this? And how did you do this thing? It's Reading, for goodness sake. I mean, seventy thousand people. It's hot up there. There's nothing there. That the, I mean, naturally, you're not yeah. going to go there to move there naturally. And uh, but the anointing so strong, nine thousand people in the church, worldwide um, worship that's just gone everywhere and blessed the nations and people coming from every country, sixty countries there, and so I'm like God, you know, and I watched him and he just wouldn't move, Corey would not move off the presence of God. He would he would downplay his sermon time. He would put everything on the back end of ministering to the Lord, and he'd wait until he knew that was done. And he did that week after week after week after week. And I'd watch him. I'd watch people try and bump, you know, bump in front of him by accident. I'd watch people even stand next to him with the security guard there, of course. But they'd stand kind of hoping he'd notice them sort of deal, you know, and maybe like pray. And I, and I was a bit of a student of his um, intentionality wow. with the presence of God. And he didn't change ever. Never did I see him go, oh, now I'm just going to kind of just flick through my iPad for five minutes. Yeah. Now I'm going to get frantic about that light bulb went out there or something. He would just, when things would happen, he'd just lean and go, hey, can can you make sure that gets fixed? And someone would go get it done. But it was very gentle yeah. and it was never frantic because his his hands, he'd do these wave offerings to God, you know. I'd, mm. I'd watch his hands. like He'd be truly ministering to God. And I felt like I learned that worship, I learned a lot about worship from Bethel and that worship really at the core of it is selfless and it's a gift to the Lord and I took that with me and praise God we have the same thing that happens now in the stadiums wow. people will just worship and they'll the instruments will stop and they'll just the crowd 20,000 plus people will just start singing spontaneous old hymns to the Lord for 30 minutes straight yeah, and wow. we just sit there and watch the glory come down people get healed in that time people get set free and people have even said to me what a, you know the unsaved you have to be careful the unsaved might leave so crazy because we've actually seen the Lord hold them there in the awe I guess and the feeling of standing in a crowd where everyone's singing the instruments have stopped you know so I learn a lot from Bethel of their intentionality of ministering to the Lord it's wonderful and the fruit that came from that was the Lord ministered back yeah and he's changed the world through them in many ways. Absolutely. And it's interesting just listening to him speak. He'll talk, you know, he won't take notes into the 
the the pulpit and you can tell he's done his work but <clears throat> he he would even stop during his preaching and just wait yep and then once he felt a release of something begin to minister and yeah. it was so easy yeah. and um yeah, I find that so inspiring. Did you learn anything off him ar- around preaching or teaching? Yeah, I, actually, we were in Russia together preaching in a conference, and it was the first time. I mean, we talk like we've talked a bunch, but usually when I've talked to him, I'm like, Bill, I have this opportunity. I have the, I'm have. i trying to kind of get advice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember in Russia, we were out for dinner, and, and I was like, I need to – I've been thinking about this for years. And I asked him a few things around, like, what does he do to prepare for messages? Mm. What does he do to extract revelation from the Word? Some of it I knew, some of it I didn't. I didn't know that before he gets up to preach, not before like as in on a Sunday at Bethel at home church, but this might sound like an oxymoron of what I just said, but he would say when he goes to travel, he loved to go in the worship, you know, and and to be in the presence of God. But before he enters the room, before he focuses his, his attention on God, he does things that he enjoys. He'll be scrolling through Instagram, looking at food Instagrams. He literally told us that. Like, I'll be just looking at Instagram, like, and, you know, liking. He goes, I want to make sure that I don't take anything of me that has pushed me up, that has riled me up, that is. Wow. He goes, I want to make sure that I go into the room just to really encounter the Lord and to, and even if this message is something like where it's about holiness or purity or it may attack sin, you know, and kind of expose sin for what it is. He goes, I want to calm my own, myself down to let the, the Spirit of the Lord flow through me. And I think one of the hallmarks of his ministry in preaching is you feel revelation, but you also feel peace. Yeah. You feel very much... Yeah, absolutely. You know, like a just a sense of peace in the room. Yeah. And and he has intentionally worked on that peace. It wasn't just a, a thing that sort of um, comes naturally to him. He said, my natural bent is I'll get sort of fired up about a subject. And he said, I really? learned over the years, I had to calm myself down. And he said there was a few reasons for that. I think one of the reasons was he said, I don't want to project my own personality on the sheep or my own, you know, kind of wow. frustrations maybe if he saw people sinning and he didn't want to p- put too much of himself into the message. So I learned a lot there. And then with scripture, um, even though he doesn't do notes, he would definitely take mental notes. And he said he blocks sermons into about 15 minute sort of blocks where he'd go, I'll start at this verse. And I'm going to talk around this verse, and things would. That's where you flow. That's yep. where the Spirit of God yep. reminds you of a little story. You, you start yep. saying stuff you thought was way better, like it's way better than you could have ever made up, you know. Yeah. And you're like, "Wow, that's a good." As you're saying it, such a funny thing, isn't it? As a yeah. preacher, Pastor, you know this. Yeah. You're preaching. You're like, and as you say, you're like, "I have to remember that one because that was so good." Like, I know, I and you can God. never remember it no, the next I, time. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you have to rewatch the sermon because that was such a good point. You're like, I didn't. That point definitely didn't come from me. Yeah. And, uh, and he would do that. He'd just start at a point and he'd kind of roadmap his mind where he'd be like, okay, within 10 minutes, I'll be here. And then I'll go to that scripture in 10 minutes. So he'd give himself sort of like little steps. Yeah. But in the middle, the middle content, he'd just basically open up what he knew about that one verse and then see where that went till he got to that verse and then do the same thing again. Wow. So it was kind of point by point for him and letting the Holy Spirit and the, the rich hours and hours a day that he would spend yeah, in scripture. Totally just come out of him so let's talk about that because i know um you've got such a passion and love for the word and you know just hearing you say in the early days of your conversion spending hours Mm -hmm. in the scriptures and i just love the word of god and can just read it all day um but but talk about that because one of the things that's uh, in our uh, conversations has been on your heart is just bring people back to a love for the word yeah 
and how you know oftentimes we can be so distracted um by uh, all the lights and bells and whistles and sirens of yeah, sure. everything happening around us yeah. and then other times it can the pendulum can go the other way and we're simply reading the word as a religious ritual uh-huh. and a routine and it's not actually penetrating our hearts yeah, sure. talk to us about what what is some new things that you're rediscovering as you read the scriptures again yeah well first of all i'm rediscovering that the posture you just said it really rightly the posture has to be correct like you can't be doing this because you need to do it yeah you know it's like i said to you guys the other day i think in the insta live that the discipline's the lowest form of discipleship because yeah. it really is like your wife's not going to love you because she's disciplined too <laughs> i mean you know what i mean it's hopefully not she might not stick around for long but like the the, the passion the thing inside us that really wants god is where it's supposed to be coming from now the thing is then how do we unlock that yeah how do we get to the scriptures where it's like oh you can kind of breathe out yeah we're not having to perform or having to sort of do that for god well the first thing for me is when i go to the scripture i try and remove myself from the you haven't done enough you haven't done this and you haven't learnt this yeah. I have to remove condemnation from me yeah. I've got to get it out of my head yeah. if I start reading and I can sort of sense it in me as I'm reading I'm like I stop and I go Father sorry you know I start again kind of deal I'm like God I just renounce this light silly what am I doing Ben I may even laugh and I'll just start reading again and as I'm reading I'm reading to he- to listen to him to look for him yeah. I have to you know be intentional about not trying to fill the spiritual bank of the man of God I have to be yeah. I have to look for Jesus, and if I focus the two things on this, on being free of condemnation in it, and then focusing on intimacy. If the focus is intimacy while I read and learning who he is, learning more about God while I read, I find I very quickly get lost in the revelation of the scripture. It takes over the way I think. It gets more fascinating to me than the thoughts about why, you know? And so that might take a little bit of discipline to do that in the first few times, where you go, okay, I'm not condemned. God loves me. Yeah. He's not looking at every time I didn't read now. Here I am now. Yeah. And even if you were like terrible at it and you wasted tons of time, you can still repent. What, what do you think the Lord wants to do? Just shut the Bible on you. You know, like God wants it to be treasured, but there's no way you can. it can be a treasure to you if you don't get a road in yeah. and leave behind the past. Yeah. You just got to leave it behind and go, okay, God, I wasted many years and many times and truly repent of that. Not beg, just repent. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jesus. And then come there without condemnation. Because then you'll fall in love with it again. Because that's what happened when I first got saved. No one told me you need to read four hours a day. I was reading because I'm like, this is amazing. Like the stuff I was reading before, the magazines, the stupid, dumb stuff I'd read before and the dumb things I listened to. I'm like, this is phenomenal. Yeah, totally. God's word is alive. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the other thing. I think the perspective is sometimes it's, this is your Bible. No, it's not. It's Jesus in print. You know, it's alive, Corey. You know, yeah. you know that. Yeah, absolutely. And we all actually know it. Yes. But it, it's like stuff can just happen. And, oh, yeah. And, and you don't know it anymore like you knew it. Yeah. And, and we, and it's it's the word of God. If you touch the table you're sitting on, if you look at the hands that are holding your Bible, the word that you're reading on those pages made your hands. Yeah. Like this is, the it holds the universe together. Yeah. And what a privilege, you know? Yeah. And so um, when you're reading it, you're actually reading the Lord. It's an intimate exchange between you and him. And yeah. even if you don't know what's happening, as it goes in, much like vitamins, yeah. it just begins to change the inner man. Yeah. And the Lord will rema or reveal himself to you through different scriptures. It's powerful. Um, 
I just it makes me want to read the word just listening to you talk about it and um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that to be honest has impacted me uh, as I spend time with you Ben is just um, I can see Jesus in you and I can um, feel the presence of God and when I'm around you and um, it's so compelling and it's and it, and it, and it I think one of the greatest fruits or testimonies of our lives and ministries is that when we leave people's presence, they actually want to spend time with Jesus and fall more in love with Him and His Word. And I just, you know, really appreciate um, you being who you are and sharing your heart because it 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 um, it actually reminds me of um, being around you. Reminds me a bit of my mother. Really? Um, <laughs> my, How should I take that? <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, and what I mean by that, that's not meant to be weird. Yeah. What I mean she must by have been good looking. Yeah, totally. Just um, she didn't play golf though. Um, but what I mean by that is she lived, breathed, and just slept. And everything, all of her life was about her, her walk with Jesus. And one of the things that she said to me with her final breaths before she passed away was, um, keep within whispering distance of Jesus. Oh. My goodness. And that was the the defining takeaway of her life that will stay with me forever. Wow. Bro. So I want to ask you a simple question. If you only had three breaths <laughs> uh, to, to give and you had three statements, three declarations, three things that you could pass on to the world around you, mm-hmm. friends, family, loved ones, mm-hmm. and people around you, your final three breaths, what would those three statements be? Such a weighty question. You know, the thing is, I feel kind of embarrassed because I knew it too. Kai (laughs) sent me the questions like I knew. But I I actually thought, I misunderstood. I thought he meant, what's the three words? And I knew what I'd say. Jesus loves you. (laughs) Well, hey, that's enough. If if that works for you, that's enough, If it was three words, I'd be like, Jesus loves you. Whoever's there. Hopefully there's someone unsaved there as well as, you know, saved people. But I think I would say this to my family and to my friends. Um, I'd probably say some if three sentences. The first one I'd say, I'd say, I'll see you in the glory of God. I'd say goodbye to them. The second thing I'd say is give everything to Jesus. Everything else is temporal. And yeah. then probably the third thing I'd say is um, something like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put it back on God again. I'd say something like, you know, if, if they could remember me saying one thing, I'd just say all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Phenomenal. That's all I'd say. All for Jesus. It's so good. Well, Ben, I want to thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today. I've loved having you uh, a part of this. And um, how do people stay connected or or, or find out more about Awakening Australia or Awakening Europe and would love to be a part of it? How how best to do that? Probably um, the best thing is we spend a lot of time now on Facebook and Instagram. So we just follow Awakening Europe Instagram. That's our tag. It's called that, Awakening Europe. They can follow my gram if they want to. And yep. um, I put a lot of stuff up there about what we're doing, our activities in Europe and Australia. Yep. And uh, and yeah, our website's awakeningeurope.com and I think awakeningaustralia.org. So they're okay. pretty easy to remember. So, yeah, totally. So you guys just can contact us if you need to and we'd love to hear from you if you're going to Europe or anything like that. We'd love to connect with you guys. It's brilliant. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Kingdom Perspectives. I'm Corey Turner. It's been a privilege to host you today. I encourage you to click on the subscribe button to automatically receive this podcast on a weekly basis. Also, if you'd like to give us a brief review, that would be a great blessing to us. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I invite you to join me again next week for another edition of Kingdom Perspectives as we get God's perspective on life, culture and ministry. Remember, in all that you do, seek first the kingdom of God. Thank you.